from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Helping people stay healthy in rural America. An effort to address local health disparities, physical well-being and exercise, and mental health challenges and substance abuse issues. A new system for grading beef remotely. And the showdown over the farm bill is about to begin. A formerly bipartisan farm bill has definitely turned partisan. What key issues are setting up to be the most contentious and why? Right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. It's only January, but some in Washington are already concerned there will not be a farm bill again this year. Our Washington analyst Jim Wiesmeyer says a battle is shaping up on Capitol Hill over the bill. Now, Wiesmeyer says the Senate is going to take a two-fold approach to that bill. Ag Committee Chair Debbie Stabenow is proposing a bill that presents farmers with choosing between crop insurance or the traditional farm safety net programs. Wiesmeyer saying there's also a GOP bill that is more traditional with higher reference prices. On top of that, he says USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack and congressional Democrats are against any changes to the thrifty food plan. That's the calculation used to determine supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits. It's all adding up to a showdown. Formerly bipartisan farm bill has definitely turned partisan both in the Senate and the House. You saw Stabenow recently say that she wants to propose giving farmers a hard choice uh, between choosing either a souped-up crop insurance program, she didn't detail how she would soup it up, or picking an ARC or a PLC-type program. Well, the Congressional Budget Office is going to score that as savings because they know the vast majority of farmers and ranchers would choose crop insurance for, for the right reasons. It's a better risk management tool. So Stabenow wants, I guess, that money for other purposes. But no no Republican in the Senate is going to, or very few, would go along with that. To address concerns within farmer safety net programs, reference prices, disaster assistance, and crop insurance, Secretary Vilsack has suggested using authority from the Commodity Credit Corporation. However, Wiesmeyer says lawmakers traditionally consider writing the legislative details of the Farm Bill their responsibility, while program administration falls under the administration's responsibilities. U.S. oil refiners are calling on the EPA to reform the Renewable Fuel Credit Program. Now, Reuters reporting the refiners want the EPA to restrict who can participate. They claim the current trading environment allows for market manipulation and increases fuel costs. Two refiners are subsidiaries of CBR Energy, saying in a petition an adjustment to the program could reduce the price of renewable fuel credits. The refiners argue the EPA allows others to participate in the RINs program, including fuel retailers, which is causing RIN prices to climb and harming small oil refiners. Now, the EPA has also, so far, not come. Areas in drought in the south are seeing more rain, but will it be too much too soon? Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has an update. 
Yeah, unfortunately, that's kind of what we go into with these kind of situations. You have an extreme drought, you want rain, but unfortunately it all comes at the same time. Not talking just light rain, light rain or light drizzle. Uh, it's a lot of rainfall in a short amount of time. Now where we have with the drought monitor again, this is going to be updated later on this afternoon. You got the extreme drought into Louisiana, also Mississippi, and also back up here uh, to the north as well. What we're going to put on top of this is going to be a significant amount of rainfall over the next seven days. You can see, see that uh, rain come in along the Gulf Coast states. Now, once we get on the other side of the seven day forecast, not only is it going to be warmer, but overall we start to shut down the precipitation chances across the United States. In fact, starting to see that ridge build back up here to the north and to the northeast. Uh, but again, a kind of a rainy a couple of days, both from the southeast, northeast, but also into the Midwest with some light to moderate showers and at times heavy downpours and some severe weather. We'll talk about more in just a little bit. Placer County, California, blasting out boulders and had fallen onto a roadway earlier this month. The rock slide triggered after a big round of rainfall. Car and truck sized rocks were left blocking the road. No longer an issue now. Now board your forecast coming up. Former President Trump taking a big step toward winning a third Republican presidential nomination this week after clinching the New Hampshire primary. Is victory a blow to former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley's chances? But she is vowing to stay in the race and is now setting her sights on her home state. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. During a call with reporters on Wednesday, Mark Harris, chief strategist for the Super PAC, supporting Haley, said the candidate has a path to the GOP nomination, regardless of Trump's two wins in the earliest votes. Flip Your Soil on Ag Day is brought to you by ESN. Hear how farmer Heath Cottrell achieved award-winning corn yields with ESN Smart Nitrogen. Learn more at smartnitrogen.com. USDA is already projecting lower net farm income in 2024, in part due to lower grain prices. Now, farmers are always shooting for higher yields, but it will be even more important this year for farmers to flip their soil to reach those goals. Ag Day's Michelle Rook has some advice heading into the planting season. The formula for achieving higher yields is different for every grower, depending on their unique climate, soil type and fertility, plus the pest pressure in their area. But there are some universal agronomic variables that can help them improve their success in 2024. With lower grain prices and tighter profit margins in 2024, every bushel is going to count. Steve O'Neill is an agronomist and CEO of Corn Capital Innovations. He works with growers across the corn belt and says the road to yield success starts with planting high quality corn and soybean seed. Watching warm germs, cold germs, saturated cold germs, and knowing, you know, if it's going to be a delayed wet spring and a cool spring, how we can use that information to make really good decisions versus, you know, make a decision, maybe plant too early, and then pay those consequences based on the quality of that product. Another trend that's really paying off is early planting of soybeans, and he recommends planting beans before corn. I think that's what's driving bean yields to the direction they are. Early planting on beans is a difference maker. The ability of that crop to sustain itself, to set nodes early, to elongate out and create more nodes per plant. Beans, I think, is if you want to talk about top end yield driving factors in beans, 
early planting is the number one factor. The pendulum has also swung back on soybean seed populations. You're seeing the populations drop with the disease pressure on beans, you know, um, you know what we used to be above above one, one and a half, you know, 1.3 units per acre on a bean pop. You're seeing things drive back down, sub 120,000 pops, some areas in the 100,000 population, depending upon the region that you're in. For corn, O'Neill says the key is to wait for optimal soil conditions at planting time to get the crop off to a good start. No matter what we do with the equipment we have, um, you know, the, the day that first neighbor goes, you know, the whole countryside breaks loose. So our, our conditions correct to get moving in those situations. So patience is key. And O'Neill recommends median corn populations and stresses the most important yield driver for corn is getting a uniform stand and quick emergence. Good heavy soil you're seeing in that 33 to 35, 36,000 range. Um, not necessarily pushing higher, but pushing more consistent on the corn. How do I get that each individual corn kernel out of the ground at the same time and how do I do a good job whether I'm planting 32,000 or 36,000 how do I make sure that they're all coming out of the ground within 24 hours itself they're mirror images they're doing what they need to do in the time the timeliness of when it needs to happen as well. O'Neill admits there's no silver bullet to high yield instead success in yield response is cumulative. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, are soybeans on an upward trend? We'll look at the latest market action coming up next with Michelle and Markets Now. And later, we're off to the Volunteer State, where a focus on movement is helping Tennessee residents get healthy. Tag for your health in the country. Milestone was reached last year with biomass-based diesel production hitting 4 billion gallons. That marks a 1 billion gallon increase from the previous year, according to the Clean Fuels Alliance America. Biomass-based diesel includes motor and aviation fuel. Worth noting, approximately half of the U.S. soybean oil produced during the 12 months ending in September of last year was used in the production of biofuels. Soybeans seem to be on an upward trend again, and we had a big day midweek. Michelle Rook is back with more on what's fueling prices in markets now. A mostly higher day again on Wednesday in grain and livestock futures. Trade Oliver Slope Blue Line Futures is joining us. Oliver, well, let's talk about the grain trade corn looking very good on a chart on Wednesday. And just how much of this is corrected buying, though? Well, I think a lot of it is probably corrected. We've seen uh, five straight days of gains, which is the first time in what seems like a lifetime since we've seen that. And I think a lot of that is just kind of on the back of the WASA report a couple weeks ago where we got so much bearish news thrown at the market. There just hasn't been new bearish news to accelerate the move to the downside in a, in a market where funds are really just massively to the short side. So if you can't throw new news at the market, I think you start to see a little bit of short covering, which is what we've seen. 450 to 452 was the breakdown point from that WASDE report. And that's going to be a big hurdle. We're keeping a very close eye on here as we enter the back half of the week. So is that true of the wheat market as well? It's correct over short covering or how much did the dollar help on Wednesday? Oh, a softer dollar always helps wheat uh, a little bit more usually than the other grain market. So the softer dollar... Uh, and, and today's trade certainly helped put a little bit of a tailwind in wheat, but I think ultimately wheat uh, is probably the most constructive and has been the most constructive of the three grains, not just uh, on the back of a softer U.S. dollar, but fundamentally and technically with that WASA report. Soybeans ended off their highs. Did we hit some chart resistance? 
Yeah, we did. You know, the the, the move on uh, Tuesday out above 1230 to 1235 really, you know, sparked some follow through buying interest, which was good to see. But 1250 to 1260, I think it's just going to be too big of a hurdle here in the near term to overcome. And nice chart action on both cattle and hogs. Can we keep going? Yeah, cattle have, uh, they've exceeded my expectations. I was in the camp that we were going to kind of consolidate, but they got the breakout move uh, before the cattle on feed report last week and have been able to add to those gains. We heard uh, some clients down in Texas saying that 174 was being passed on. So if the cash market continues to firm, I think the funds had room to add. Thanks, Oliver. Oliver Slobula and Futures will have more Ag Day coming up. Thursday and Friday again we looked at it a little bit ago drought conditions in parts of the southeast or on the Gulf Coast states uh, inundated with rainfall and then you take into account back up into the Midwest we're expecting another surge of moisture late Thursday early Friday morning on top of the snowpack flooding concerns are going to start to come uh, become real uh, through our Friday and Saturday as the system lifts out. Now, as it does, there is going to be some warmer air around. We keep bringing the rain in to parts of Texas and Oklahoma. This is Friday at 10 p.m. and the Gulf Coast states. It's Monday and Tuesday that a ridge is going to start to build in over the United States. So once we get on the other side of this system here again, this is Sunday at 1 a.m. By Monday and Tuesday, that ridge is going to kind of quiet things down in regards to precipitation chances. But again, it is going to take some time. We've got to work through a good bit of moisture and also possibility of some snow into Pennsylvania and New York State. Now, this is Sunday night and into early Monday morning. What's on the other side of it? Well, things start to dry out. This is the 29th through the 2nd of February where you got that brown and then over here towards the west, the wetter than average conditions. Combine that all with well above average temperatures and you're looking at a very low chance of uh, substantial snowfall in across the United States uh, as well as precipitation, the rainfall rates to be a little bit elevated under warmer conditions, which is what we're expecting from the 29th through February 2nd. The jet stream is going to look something like this. We've already seen the kind of the two systems, the one coming in for a Thursday night and the one coming in this weekend. You can follow the energy, the trough that digs through coming up on Monday and Tuesday of next week and the ridge that really starts to take shape next Wednesday and Thursday. This is what we're going to be talking about next week, although it's going to be more over there. We'll start off in uh, the zoo, Michigan, Kalamazoo. We got some morning fog, otherwise evening rain high of 42 degrees. Ohio, evening showers high of 47, low of 39. Wheeling, West Virginia, some showers, temperatures in the mid 50s. Drover's report on Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Discover your possibilities and enhance your herd's potential. Hemp seed for livestock feed is one step closer to reality. The Hemp Feed Coalition says hemp seed meal for laying hens has been recommended by the FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine. It's also been voted by the Association of American Feed Control Officials into their Ingredient Definition Committee. The definition allows hemp seed meal of up to 20% in feed mixes for laying hens. Now, the coalition says the grain provides essential vitamins, mineral, and healthy oils for animals. It says for egg production, it can create eggs with higher omega-3 content. Now, scientists say it's been verified that any potential cannabis doesn't transfer to the egg. 
Now, last year, researchers found when cattle were fed the industrial hemp byproduct, hemp seed cake, very low levels of cannabis chemicals were retained in the animals, but scientists found the concentrations were only a small fraction of the total amount global regulatory organizations consider safe for humans. They determined hemp seed cake could be a suitable source of protein and fiber in cattle feed. We're all familiar with those USDA grades for beef at the grocery store. Now the agency is starting a new pilot program that would expand that grading. It's called the Remote Grading Pilot for Beef, and the idea is to attract more small and independent processors to the program. USDA's Ag Marketing Service says it allows remote graders to use photos taken at the plant along with videos to issue grades for beef cuts and carcasses. It says it will help cut costs and location barriers to participate in voluntary grading services. It's going to be available to any processing facility that does not currently have a full or part-time grading system in place. And we're only going to charge the producer for the time spent reviewing the pictures and making the determination. Vilsack says on average a beef carcass that grades as USDA Prime is valued at hundreds of dollars more than an ungraded carcass. Meanwhile, a new center is opening up in California that will focus on cultivated meat. The University of California Davis establishing a new Integrative Center for Alternative Meat and Protein, or ICAMP. It's reported the center will work toward large-scale commercialization of alternative proteins. That includes cultivated meat from animal cells, plant and fungal-based foods, and hybrids that combine conventional meat products with alternative proteins. Hey, we all know getting plenty of exercise is one way to stay healthy. Up next, a look at a program in Tennessee encouraging folks to get moving in today's Ag for Your Health. A Tennessee County is looking to help people improve their physical and mental health and combat substance abuse issues. The University of Tennessee's Charles Denny shows us how UT Extension is getting involved in today's Ag for Your Health. Chair yoga with seated stretching and lively social interaction. Flexibility and moods are boosted in this class at the Shady Grove Community Center in Duck River. Georgetta Street is one of the folks enjoying relaxing exercise in this beautiful building. I'm getting older and I can't do all this aerobics and I need to stay healthy. So I said, well, let me try chair yoga. And I'd seen it on television one time. And so I said, well, let me just give it a try. UT Extension agent Autumn Vespi leads the group. But this is not just an everyday workout, but part of an overall community effort with far-reaching goals. UT Extension and other organizations are teaming together in the Hickman Health Council, offering programming here at Shady Grove and all over the county. And so the goal of this was to just improve the overall health of our community. This effort is funded by a grant from the Tennessee Department of Health. The money is being used to upgrade community centers like this one, an old school building, and also to address mental health and substance abuse problems throughout the county. In fact, local leaders say mental health and substance abuse are the most worrisome issues facing this area. But they also see opportunity to find workable solutions with this health council. Everything is connected back to mental health, exercise, healthy eating, um, just getting socialization, we can tie that back to mental health. So these community centers having events um, for each of their communities, just bringing people out to get them out of their house. 
Abrina Taylor is with the Bernard Community Center in Centerville, where the council will be offering the convenience of virtual therapy. It's providing a space for parents or children needing to speak to a counselor maybe in Nashville and can't get to Nashville. So we have a, we have a place, we have internet. Chair Yoga ends with a moment of restorative visual imagery, a chance to leave with a good feeling. The same notion might apply now for all of Hickman County, where improved health comes from new exercise options, refurbished community centers, and productive partnerships. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks, Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. Come all of us here at Ag Day, including Griffiths. Have a great day.